Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church family. Happy summer to you all. Is our base tan, is it ready? Are we ready to go out to Barton Springs yet? This, this morning, I, I want to kick us off with something a little bit unique. I, I need four volunteers. If you, you guys would be willing to help out, could you raise your hand? Thank you, Cecily. Uh, come on up here. <laughs> Melissa, I see you. I see that hand in the back. Andrew Fike, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> and anyone else here? Austin, thank you so much. Come on up here. C- can we give a hand to our volunteers? All right, so, Hi. Good to see you. Um, Okay, so you guys have this very important job. I'm going to give you something to read. And I want you without, like, don't don't say what it is. But just take a look at it, and you're going to tell us what you notice and what does this say about our world. So I'm going to give this to you. (laughs) This to you. Uh, How about this and this? Okay, so you guys just take a moment, peruse, take a look-see. I'm going to use this microphone, and we'll start over here. Ladies first. So, uh, Melissa, can you share, what do you notice in this reading? Go ahead and, and, and say, is there anything in particular that's jumped out to you? About, like, what it tells me about the world? Yeah. Like, people are going to make assumptions about you, even if they, they may not know you very well. Okay. And um, you can't live to please other people. Mm. It's all about, like, what you know internally is right and true about yourself. They may not know and respect that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And what would you say to yourself if someone did put that upon you? Um, I would say the fakers are going to fake, 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 and the haters are going to play, play, play. Yeah. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Okay. (laughs) Cecily, what do you notice and what does this say about our world? Um, this is somewhat tragic, but also hopeful. Um, it says that even though, can I read from it? Yeah, you can read a little bit. It says we're burdened to live out these days while at the same time we're blessed to outlive them with all of the hate and tragedy in the world. And also, um, it says thus, while hate cannot be terminated, it can be transformed into love that lets us live. And I find that hopeful. Beautiful. Andrew. What do you notice in your reading? What does it say about our world? I can't scroll through it. Yeah. It's hard yeah did, to you try, did you try it. to do this? I too? don't know what this is. 
Seems very wasteful. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Dodgers are paying a ton of money, but they're the best team, so that's good. Is that really in there? Yeah, last page. Okay. Um, it's going to be miserably hot. Yeah. And there's a ton of tragedy and awful things happening. Um, how bad will it get? Scandal, tons of guns, more mass shootings, a lot of tragedy. Okay. And Austin. I don't really know what I'm looking at, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> Anything st stand out to you? Anything tell you about this world? Um, we got to take care of our environment. We got to make sure when we're building things to to not leave it worse off than when we got it. Um, <laughs> Is there a line that really was meaningful to you? Um, Would you read us maybe your favorite quote? <laughs> My favorite quote? Yeah. Okay, an access ramp for an existing single-family and duplex residential unit. If a person with a disability requires access to a dwelling interest that meets the requirement of the residential code, section R320.6. Good. That's good. That's good. Okay, so we're, uh, would you please tell me what you have read? Uh, Shake It Off by Taylor, Taylor Swift. Okay. Hymn for the Hurting by Amanda Gorman. Austin American Statesman. Land Development Code, Title 25, Land Development. <laughs> okay. Let's give a round of applause to our... No, y'all can keep it. Y'all can keep it. Okay, so that's, this was a fool's errand that I just tried to do. Uh, but here we have these four different types of writings. And obviously, we read impervious coverage code differently than we might read a newspaper, uh, a poem or a song that uh, many of us dance to at weddings. Like, we, we approach these, these writings differently, and we, uh, and we also learn to read them differently, too. These sources tell us very different things about our world, and they use very, very, very different voices. So the way in which we approach a newspaper is something that we, we come to differently than a poem, a song, or a law, or an eyewitness account. When we look at the Bible we might be tempted to approach every single section or segment of the Bible in the same way. But our Bible is, is as diverse as we just saw up here. Our Bible is comprised of letters, of eyewitnesses' accounts, of law, wild prophetic writings, poetry, prayers, wisdom sayings, and songs. The way in which we read a gospel should be read differently than the way we read law or poetry that we find in our songs. This doesn't mean that one section is any more or less than God's word. I actually think the beautiful complexity and the beautiful diversity that we find in Scripture actually makes me appreciate God's word even more because it reflects the broadness of the human experience. And we believe as a church that God inspired all of it for us to come to us. But the reality is many of us have not been trained or taught to read these different sections differently. The Psalms is what we're coming to in the summer. We're spending all of the month of June and July reading and, and rooting our church in the Psalms. The Psalms have historically played a very unique role in the life of the Jewish community and the Christian community. Primarily, the Psalms have, 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 have formed two different things. The Psalms have been our church's prayer book and has also been our church's worship uh, hymnal. This is what it's been for thousands of years. Communities have turned to this book as they gather in worship, and they have turned to this book in their private 
personal devotion and their time of prayer to God. And our church is a part of that tradition. And we want to live into that tradition, especially this summer. Now, if we should read the Psalms differently than other types of writings, how should we approach the Psalms? I believe that, the, that we should approach the Psalms like we would uh, approach any poetry. Now, the problem for us is how many of us feel prepared to read poetry? You know, we probably haven't really spent much time doing so. But what, what we know about poetry is this. One does not read poetry to master it. One does not approach poetry to formulaically analyze what's read there. We don't speed read poetry. A reader is to sit with poetry, slowly read it. To, and the hope is to get under what the author is trying to say. And if we are enough, uh, have enough bravery for us to get under it as well in our own life. Like our friend Scott Erickson, he shared a couple months ago, Scott the Painter, he came and did a series with us. Uh, he shared that art doesn't instill into us things. Instead, what art does and poetry does, and I would say the Psalms do, uh, they actually excavate. The, when art does its thing, what art does is we see something, we hear something, we read something, and then something inside of us gets drawn out. And this thing that was within our souls begins to take shape, and we begin to grapple with it. And for us with these psalms, not only does that happen, not only is this thing filtered out of our soul, but when that happens, then we go to God in prayer, or we go to God in worship. A great way to kill poetry, I've done a little bit of research this week trying to prepare for this sermon series. And also, honestly, for me, I, I want to read the psalms differently this summer. So I did a little, uh, little research around poetry. What I found to be ultimately the case is a way to kill poetry is to try to read it literally. And many of us have been taught in our Christian tradition to read the Bible literally like that. But then we come to the Psalms and we hear sayings like, God is my rock. And how many of us actually believe, all right, God is a rock? You know, no one does. Well, of course, that's just a metaphor. We know that God is more than a rock. But let me just have a little discussion here as a group. What do you think the psalmist is perhaps pointing to? What does that phrase mean to you, that God could be like a rock? Steadfast. A foundation. Strong. Never-changing. It's a beautiful metaphor that's meant something for thousands of generations to people as they come to the psalm. When life feels like it's fading away and dissolving, we have a rock that we get to plant our life upon. The style of writing in the psalms invites us to slow down. It excavates what's happening in the writer of the psalm, or what we will call the psalmist. And what also is astonishing about this, this ancient Hebrew poems is this is as relevant today as any of what we might find in our social media feed. These ancient Jewish writings speak to us about the human condition, the human experience. And these poems can teach us how to pray, how to have communion with God, and I think ultimately what it means to be a person. In this series, we're going to gather on Sundays, and we're going to sit with one particular psalm. And at that time, uh, we're going to sit, and whoever's going to preach is going to share from that psalm. 
And our hope is, as we leave on that Sunday morning, that each of us will be invited in to meditate and reflect upon that psalm throughout our week. And on top of that, we hope to give everyone a practice to utilize in their own spiritual formation. So today, it makes only sense for me to begin with Psalm 1. This psalm is a particular type of psalm called a wisdom psalm. In particular, it's pointing to something very specific. It's pointing to what it means to have a blessed life. When we think of the word blessing, we might think of things that uh, are said in response to when someone sneezes into their, uh, their elbow pit. I don't know what to call this part. I call it the elbow pit. We hope that people sneeze in their elbow pit and we say bless, a blessing of them or it said, that blessing is also said before a meal, or it's hashtag when you do something awesome and put it on Instagram and show all your friends that they're not invited to it, hashtag blessed. Um, but blessing means so much more than that. I parked in this parking lot just a block over, and I was walking here, I saw a college student walking a brand new puppy. And I don't know, who all here got a, a puppy in college? Anyone? It doesn't really make sense. You know, like, that's like the least stable part of your life, and you're like, I'm going to take on more responsibility, even though I don't have any money, and I don't know where I'll live in a year from now. But I, I, I got a puppy named Bailey in college, and I got him my senior year, and I graduated, and I went to Germany for half a year, and I literally think I did not ask my roommates to take care of him. I just left him. And then I came back, and I, went, I spent some time in Waco. I went to seminary at Baylor. And Bailey was with me during that time. And every once in a while, I take Bailey out. There's a beautiful park in Waco called Cameron Park. Anyone been there? It's, like, beautiful. Uh, I know no one goes to Waco anymore. It's the same sleepy town as it been since I was there in seminary. But I would take Bailey to Cameron Park and would have a tennis ball. And I would throw the tennis ball with my yellow lab, and he would run and get it. And there was one time, because I, maybe I was bulking up, and I threw it further than I did other times, and it went on top of a hill, and Bailey ran up there, and he got to the top of the hill, and he just froze, and my heart sank, because I was like, what is he about to attack, you know, like, I did not know what he saw, so I ran up there behind him, and at the top of the hill, he could look over, and he could see something called the Brazos River, and he just froze, and then I began to remember, oh, these dogs are like meant to be in the water, and poor Bailey has spent years never seeing a body of water. Great dog owner. And there was something about him, <clears throat> when he saw the water, it just clicked in him. Like, this is good. <laughs> like, whatever that is, that looks awesome. And so I was able to tell Bailey, went up to him, I said, go get it. And <laughs> splash it in the water. <clears throat> and, um, he played in the water, he got out, and I threw the tennis ball. And, I mean, I must have been for hours where just this running out there, splashing in the water, jumping it, coming back. He was the happiest dog ever. Why? He was finally connected to the thing that he was meant for, created for. This is an example for me of what it means to experience blessing. Blessing isn't something that we say to each other or that kind of thing. It's actually... A, blessing, a blessed life is when we are in the place where God has created us. When we're, like, we're living into the flow of God's intention in our experience. When that happens, we enter into like this thin place, this blessed place, this blessed life. 
This psalm is trying to point us to what it means to be living a blessed life. A blessed life is one where living in the flow of being connected to God, being connected with others, and being connected to our true selves. This first psalm is a poem about how to experience that kind of life, how to get into that flow. And so I want us just to take a moment, and we have heard Psalm 1 read, and because it's short enough, I think it'd be good for us to take a moment and silently read it, each of us. So let's just take a moment now, read Psalm 1 for yourself quietly, and uh, we'll take a moment and do that. Are we good? Okay. So in this, in this psalm, in this poem, what are the two main metaphors that the psalmist is giving us? A tree? What's the other metaphor? Chaff. Yeah. And what are the differences between the experience of chaff and the experience of this particular tree? What's the contrast that the psalmist is trying to to utilize? One is nurtured by the water, the other is blown away by the wind. Good. Good. One is good? Yeah. One's bearing fruit? Mm-hmm. The other one doesn't seem to have the ability to do so. It's blown away. It's, it's been used. Yeah. Anything else? What's that? Life and death. Yeah. The tree is also situated. The chaff is scattered. The chaff is scattered. Yeah, this psalm is, the psalmist is sharing the comparison between a blessed life and a life that's not in that flow that which God has created us to be. The other one is experiencing blessing, the other one is not. And the psalmist is sharing how we can discover a life of living, experiencing like that tree, and how, if we're not careful, we might experience the life of this chaff. So there's two different ways in which we are being invited into discovering a blessed life. Two different ways. One is through the practice of resisting, and the other one is through the practice of embracing something. The first way in which we experience blessing, the psalmist is trying to share with us, this wisdom psalm is trying to point to us, is that we resist, we, we resist by breaking connection to the wicked. Quote, unquote, the wicked, right? We love that word. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. I think something worth noting that perhaps the psalmist was intentional about doing is, do y'all notice the, pro- the progression that we find in that, in that work, the, pro- the subtle progression? First, it's walking in step, then it's standing with, and then it's sitting among. So it starts off with a movement of like maybe we'll just take a, take a walk here and then you end up standing alongside and then you get stuck where you shouldn't be. Does that progression seem like a part of your life too, your experience? Some, sometimes when we never would have imagined that we would end up getting stuck there, 
but we find ourselves in this progression that pulls us out of that blessed life. The psalm is saying there is blessing when we learn to part ways with the wicked path, when we know where this is going to lead and we decide to depart from it. We don't want to stand in the spot that doesn't have goodness or sit where we we shouldn't. There's wisdom to this. But does anyone else find a little caution to that as well? Does that make anyone a little bit nervous or anxious? For me, it does, because oftentimes we can, it can set up a place of judgment. All right, so I am a righteous person, and you're wicked, and you're wicked, you're cool, but you're wicked, and I'm not going to walk with you because I don't want to end up being over there, right? <clears throat> and we can see this, like, this, this, this progression in our own, like, own spiritual life of end up being righteous, self-righteous, where we break connection with anyone who doesn't fit the mold of being righteous. And if we're not careful, we're going to end up being an illustration point that Jesus will use about a self, uh, self-righteous Pharisee who's so thankful that he's not like other sinners and will be lost in our own righteousness. That's not what this is calling us to do. We're not called as Christians to circle the wagons and get away from the world and exclude anyone that's like not perfect like us. Of course, that's a fool's errand. I think what this is pointing us to is that there is in each of us a mixed bag. Each of us have blind spots where we know that we can end up taking a journey that ends, ends up with being stuck in sin or brokenness or darkness. And, the, and the, what the calling is for us, what wisdom might be calling us to do, is to be mindful about it. Look in our own lives where we're, those paths of wickedness are in each of us. I love the Avet brothers. I love one of the lines in their songs. It's a confession. It's a statement, declaration. There's a darkness upon me that's flooded in light. In the fine print, <clears throat> they tell me what's wrong and what's right. And it comes in black and it comes in white. And I'm frightened by those who don't see it. It's, there's like this, there's a darkness that comes with our self-righteousness. Our job is not merely to look at this world and try to designate, all right, who is a wicked person? But our job is to notice within each of us the pathways that lead to brokenness so that we don't stall out living as God has not intended us to live, breaking from that blessed life. So there's, uh, so it's our calling is to look within our life, look in this world, where are the paths of brokenness and wickedness that are pulling us from a life with God? But it's more than just rejecting the paths of destruction. It's more than just having stiff arms in this world. It's also about embracing something. The psalm is saying that there's something we also need to learn to behold. And it's this, delighting and meditating on the law day and night. This is the alternative to keeping company with the wrong routes. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. One recommendation <clears throat> that I had when I was researching how to read poetry uh, is, and I've heard this from several different people, is one approach that some people, poets, recommend is to visualize what you are reading. And so I'd like to invite you to do so now, to visualize that tree, that vi- visualize that metaphor. So go ahead right now, close your eyes. <clears throat> I want you to envision a tree. 
but like a particular tree, one that has been meaningful for your life. Maybe it was a tree in your yard of a home or a trail in which you walked or a tree on a particular vacation you took. I want you to envision that tree. What time of day is it? Are the leaves rustling? Is there a swing? Are you climbed up in the branches? Now, while you guys are envisioning that, I want you to tell me, just shout out, name the emotions that you have as you envision this tree. Like out loud, if you don't mind. Peace? Calm. Does anyone have play? Sense of play? Sense of refuge? This is the experience of those who've discovered a blessed life. A tree planted by streams of water, lush with fruit, with leaves that never brown, never shed. I love that, especially for someone who doesn't like to rake. Y'all can open up your eyes. This is a stark comparison to the chaff that blows away. One that just is gone forever. And how can we experience that type of life? How can we discover that kind of blessing? Well, it is given to those who have learned to delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on the law day and night. That's the promise that this psalm is trying to say. If you want that kind of life, if you want that kind of refuge, that kind of comfort, that kind of playfulness in your life, then you need to learn to delight in the law, and meditate on it day and night. I discovered in my research that that word meditate literally means to murmur or mumble. I love that. Uh, to speak is like to speak with a low muttering sound. When do you murmur and mumble? Well, I, I find that when I replay an argument, like if I had an argument with someone and I'm driving away, I'm like, just going to do something. And I'm just driving away, replaying it, or if there's an experience I had, I want to imagine how a conversation's going to go. I'm preparing for that. Or if there's a song that I really want out of my head and it can't get out, I'll find myself throughout my day going, Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol, lead me on to double, ace, remember, seven. And I'm like, I don't, why am I doing this? It's just in me. It's just like, it's like wormed itself into my brain. This is what obsessed people do. They will turn over things in their mind again and again. They try to get a different angle to see things differently. They plot it out on their wall, tacking strings to see the connections to the different things. And this is what we find the psalmist is saying. Is, it's the life of someone who's murmuring God's word, who mumbles it day and night. There is a blessing in that. But it's more than just mumbling and, and, and murmuring. It's also delighting in it, finding, savoring, enjoying God's word. I love this. There's a tradition in the Jewish community that's been held since the Middle Ages that the first day when a child is taught to study the Torah, the teachers apply honey to a, the slate of paper, uh, the slate or a paper, as they are instructed this Torah, and they are told to taste it, to lick it off the paper or the slate. 
And this is because they want to teach their students from the very beginning there is sweetness in God's word. It's like honey to the lips. It's like that to the soul. There is a blessing with those people who've learned to savor and to delight in God's word. This delight in God's word and this intent is in the intention to not journey in the paths of the wicked will lead us to something. And this is the conclusion of this psalm. The way in which the psalmist wants to kick off all of the psalms that we're going to study, it's this, this invitation to delight, to savor, to, to meditate on this. And it ends with this conclusion. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. What is interesting to me about this verse is this word, uh, watches. When you study, when you get into the Hebrew text, this word watches seems really um, like PG and normal, but it's actually kind of spicy, if I can use that word. Because uh, the way in which that word is, is typically translated, it's the word to know. It, this word watches could be, mean, it could be used to mean guard or protect, but the most common uh, understanding is the word to know. And that word to know, it involves intimacy. It connotes a sense of closeness, deep connection. The Lord watches over the righteous like a lover who watches over their beloved. That's what this word, in my opinion, in the translations I've been reading, that's what it's trying to get at. That God's posture with those who have discovered a blessed life is like God looking over them with love and admiration, with intimacy and closeness. This is what happens to those who've discovered a blessed life. And without that, their end is destruction. That's like high stakes. That's a big contrast. Um, this could freak us out, right? St. Augustine wrestled with this psalm, and his conclusion is that the psalm is actually pointing us to the only one who could live with righteousness. This psalm is supposed to point us to the one who is Jesus, who is the only one to discover what it meant to faithfully journey on the path of righteousness. Jesus, who savored and meditated and spoke scripture throughout his days. And we are Jesus' beloved, who have found shelter underneath the tree of life that knows no season, whose fruit is always there for us, fruit that we could not produce in our own lives, that this is the gift of what we have in coming after Jesus, is that we are invited and grafted into his life, his blessing, and his existence. And so on this side of Christ, it is good for us to meditate and delight on God's word, and we get to do so without the fear of the balances tipping in the wrong direction, of us experiencing that kind of destruction that's promised if we don't abide in the right way. What we find is that with Jesus, we are established upon a tree that is sure. It's like that rock that we were talking about earlier. And so now we delight in God's word. We delight in the gospels. We get to meditate the Psalms without fear and trepidation. And we can simply mumble words of God's love throughout our days. So I want to conclude with an invitation. We are a church that one of our culture 
uh, pieces of our community is that we want to be practice-based. We don't want to just study and talk about the way of Christ. We want to go and do it together. And so uh, we are going to extend an invitation after each of these messages. And so I want to extend an invitation for us as we explore these psalms is, one, don't only, uh, our invitation is not only this week, spend your time with Psalm 1, meditate on it, murmur it, if you will, but also I'd like for each of us to explore a concept we find within these psalms, even in this first psalm, which is an imagery of the soul. This first psalm teaches us the power of imagination in the spiritual life. The imagery of the soul is what we find here the psalmist uses to speak of what a life with Christ might mean, or for us, a life with Christ might mean this evergreen, fruitful tree. And that image of the soul has been something that's blessed us today. So I'm curious, what is the imagery of your soul? If you were to spend time, how would you describe the state of your soul today? I heard the same question. It was, uh, it was posed to a theologian and author uh, by the name of Walter Brueggemann, and he was asked, so how would you, if the, imag- the life of imagination is so important in the spiritual life, tell me, what's the state of your soul today? And I loved it. He, he slipped into this story, this imagery. He said, do you remember as a child when you would go to the department store with your family, and in between, you know, the racks of clothes, the crowds, the mannequins, or maybe the shelves of toys, you got distracted along the way, and you looked around, and your family's just gone. And you're old enough where you didn't want to cry, and so you try to hold it together and you start walking around and your steps speed up a little bit and you begin to break. And right when tears start streaming down your face, you turn around and there's your mama looking right at you. And Brueggemann said, I need God like that today. Imagery of the soul. Imagery of the soul that was used not only to describe what's going on beneath, but also used then to provoke prayer, to provoke a particular type of prayer that's rooted in something deeper. So what's the imagery of the soul that you have? I kicked around some images of my soul. One was a, my soul is like a grocery cart with one wheel that's not quite centered. And doesn't matter how hard and fast you push, it doesn't straighten out. I thought that was pretty good. I was told it wasn't my best, though. Imagery of the soul that stay with me is being on a bus next to a stranger. You know how it is when you ride public transportation. You plop down next to a stranger on a bus, and if you don't strike up a conversation right at the beginning, you just learn to coexist. You sit there in such close proximity, but you never acknowledge each other. And even though they are nearby, you ignore them. Too much time goes by, and how awkward would it be for all of a sudden to go, so where are you coming from? <laughs> the window of conversation is shut. It's gone by. It would just be awkward to strike it up now. So you just, uh, you just assign yourself to passively coexist. How often do I go through my days forgetting there's a part of me, my soul, that goes ignored, unattended. There's a part of me that I can go throughout my day without caring for it, nurturing it, even acknowledging it exists. My personhood, this deepest part of me that extends 
for all of eternity, yet somehow I ignore it in the day-to-day busyness of my life. And so we just travel alongside each other as if we are strangers. This part of me that belongs to God, that longs to meet with Christ, that's been created to be fed by God's presence, and I'm too preoccupied with the headphones in my ears, moving along, getting to my place so it doesn't really mean much, just minding my business. That can be the state of my soul, the imagery of my soul. And the goal, like I shared, is not just to get creative so we have this exercise of imagination, but it's so that I get to turn that place into God in prayer, just like the psalm has taught us to do, is to go to God in prayer. And God, help me to befriend my soul, to care for it, to be in dialogue with it as I go through my days, as I travel through life. God, I want to be a soul-filled person and not just a busy, uncentered man. Teach me to be a good companion for my soul so as I travel through life that I live from this place deep within me, a place that no one else can touch, but it's one that fuels me. The image of the soul. I wonder wonder what the image of your soul is today. Blessed is the one who's like a tree planted near water. Blessed is the one who's not like chaff easily blown away. Blessed is the one who knows what it's like to be found by their mother, even though they're afraid and lost. Blessed is the one who has not learned to be a stranger to their soul. May we learn to delight and meditate on the life of God. May may we learn to delight and meditate on Scripture in the way of Christ that we could be planted near a source of life and find shelter in our Savior. As we go into the psalm series, I hope and pray this would open us up to God. It would teach us how to have communion with God and that in the end, we'd also learn what it means to be fully human and experience a full blessed life. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about the Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to the Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.